Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans around the world. It is the weekend again, which means one very important thing. It is Formula One time. More importantly, it is the last race of the 2023 season. And if you're hearing my voice, I can only mean two things. One, that my name is Kelsey. And two, you are listening to the newest edition of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of F1. It is officially the last race for Alfa Romeo in the Formula One calendar setup, anything like that. Now, the team itself is not going away. Just the sponsorship for Alfa Romeo runs out at the end of this 2023 season. There has been no name for a new sponsorship deal yet for the 24 to 26 season yet. So, when the next season starts, you may see a different name. Well, you're going to see a different name 100%. It's either going to be known as Sauba Racing, which is the name of the actual car producer that Alfa Romeo just kind of bought their rights to and just advertised the crap out of, or you're going to see something totally different. I'm hoping that it stays Sauba. Sauba, in my opinion, is long overdue for the recognition that they've um, added to Formula One for everything that they've done as far as aerodynamic development and driver development and all the things like that i think it's time they totally get the recognition they deserve so just be aware of that alfa romeo no longer existing in formula one it will be now known as salba more sponsorship and name changing news i mentioned to you guys last weekend and the weekend before that alfa Tari is changing their name for the 2024 season they wanted something to represent how close they are to the Red Bull family, but they wanted to make it very, very, you know, very clear, almost like, hey, I wonder if they are. You read the name and, yep, they're the sister team of, of Red Bull. After all this time, and I'm sure they spent way too much money trying to come up with a name, and by the way, as far as I know, they're keeping the color scheme as well, they have officially announced they're changing the name of the team. It will no longer be known as AlphaTauri for the 2024 season. It will be known as racing bulls now i mean on a scale of one to ten of laziness uh and probably a friday afternoon idea where everybody wanted to go home early i would put this at a 14 out of 10 racing bulls like i mean it's very straightforward it's very easy to figure out who they're the junior team of and i guess i mean simplicity is the best form i think um, so yeah, they'll Alphatari will no longer be known as Alphatari next season. Their sponsorship deal runs up. They will be now called Racing Bulls. Moving on, last topic. Um, kind of a an overstep from the Stewarts, in my opinion, in this hot topic. Both Total Wolf and Fred Vasseur have been given official warnings from the FIA for the what they call inappropriate language towards the Stewarts for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Now, by the time they came out with this ruling, they had to pass over the ruling to the stewards of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but they were in the general, you know, same sense of, hey, tisk tisk, don't do that. So essentially what has happened is that any kind of, at this point, the FIA and F1 has ruled any 
negative speech towards F1, the FIA, the stewards, or the organizers will be deemed inappropriate. Now, they did have a rule in the rule book about this already, but they never, you know, they never enforced it as far as I can tell or until now. Essentially, what they're telling everybody is, is that, yes, it's a professional sport. Yes, it's very stressful at times and emotions can run high, but you're not allowed to say anything bad or negative or slight anybody in the organization at all ever. So what they're telling the teams is if they do mess up, you're not allowed to say anything and everything has to be all right and rosy for the sponsors and for TV and all that kind of stuff. I think this is a massive, massive mistake as far as censorship goes in the sport of Formula One. It's just like any other sport. It's high intensity, high stress, high pay, and very big personalities. You're going to catch people that have an off day and they're going to be honest, especially when they're in, you know, while they're racing over team radio, they're going to say something like, oh, I got a five second penalty. And a driver could be like, oh, the stewards are stupid. The stewards don't know what they're doing. Something along that line. It doesn't have to be swearing. It doesn't have to be derogatory. And they're going to get penalized for speaking bad of the officials. Well, if any one of you out there have ever listened to live mics for football, uh, American football, basketball, hockey, uh, rugby every once in a while, you know, any literally any professional sport, you're going to hear the players chirp the ref and disagree with them. They're allowed to. They're human. It's part of the game. If the FIA stewards and if F1 and FIA in general are just so sensitive to being criticized at any junction at all ever in formula one they need in my opinion they need to pack up and go do something else it's a professional sport these guys are paid millions of dollars granted to drive cars but you're driving cars that are essentially rocket ships and it's very stressful and it's very dangerous as there was a couple of instances last season and the season before perfect one that comes to mind for the danger level max verstappen hitting the sidewall and hitting 51 g's in a car I can't think of anything else or at least a lot of things that are that dangerous that you do for a living for a sport. It's dangerous. And I believe and I'm pretty sure some of the stewards have never ever driven in a single race, whether it be motorcycle racing, Porsche supercar, Formula One, NASCAR rally or anything. I'm sure some of them have never even been in a fast car period. So you know what? If they're that much of a snowflake in their job, they need to find different jobs. Total overstep. I think it's absolutely 100% unwarranted. Criticism in life is part of life. If you can't deal with it, find another job. With all of that being said, let's move into qualifying. It is Abu Dhabi. It is technically a night race. Qualifying, though, starts during the daytime, goes into dusk, and finishes at night, which generally will mean that you have a little bit of a different weather pattern when it comes to racing in general, track temperature, grip, all that sorts of things. The wonderful thing about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is that it happens at a time of year that when you go from sunshine, let's say around our time, let's say seven o'clock from seven o'clock to about 11 o'clock. Generally, yes, it goes from bright to dusk to lights at night. The track temperature only changes one or two degrees, which for these guys, it's not a huge difference in track temperature, in track evolution, the way their tires grip, all that kind of stuff generally stays the same which makes it for a very nice and level race. So let's get right into it. Q1, the weather was perfect. There was no clouds. A little bit of wind had popped up at the end of Q1, beginning of Q2. 
But other than that, there didn't bring any clouds, didn't bring in a bunch of dust. And that has happened in the past where the wind does kick up and starts blowing a lot of extra dust and sand onto the track, which obviously what this means is that you've got a lot less grip around the corners, which has a tendency to make the race a little bit more dangerous, but nothing like this this time. It was clear skies, clear sailing the entire way. No drama in qualifying at all. One, two, and three. It was amazing. It was the perfect way to end qualifying for the year. Nothing dramatic, no crashes, no spin outs, no collisions, no, I mean, traffic violations, nothing like that. It was a nice, clean, fast qualifying, which is what you always want to see. And it shows the performance of the cars at this point in the year. It also shows the fatigue and how much these drivers can concentrate for the last race of the year. It has been a very long season. 23 races with only one uh, cancellation. So 22 races for these drivers. It's the longest season so far. And it was a test to see their endurance, their concentration, and just how well they would be able to finish out the rest of the year. And the bottom five generally is who you expect from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So people are staying very, very consistent, except for sometimes you get that, you know, no matter how hard you try, you're not where you need to be. It's not that anybody impeded. It's not that you spun out. It's not none of that stuff. You didn't have any mechanical failures, no technical difficulties. It's just no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't quite there, couldn't quite be there. And unfortunately, that was the case for Carlos Seitz. He ends up getting kicked out in Q1, which I believe for him is a first in the last at least five years. It's not very often you see a Ferrari that gets kicked out of Q1 that hasn't crashed caught on fire, technical difficulties or anything like that. So there was no drama, nothing happened. He just, he tried his damnedest. It wasn't the best weekend for Ferrari, especially for Carlos Seitz. So he just, he wasn't fast enough, which is kind of the, the essence of racing. Sometimes you're on the top of the mountain and sometimes you're at the bottom. Let's talk about your bottom five in Q1. 20th was Logan Sargent, 19th, Joe Guan Yu, 18th, Valtteri Bottas, 17th, Kevin Magnussen, and 16th was Carlos Seitz. Logan Sargent, again, he's doing his best. He did a very good lap. Um, unfortunately for him, he had two really good smoking laps, but track violations come back to bite him in the ass one more time because you know what? Why not? It has been the story of his season this year. He is getting better. He is much better and further along than I thought he would be at this part of the season. But a rookie season being a rookie season, there are some things that you just cannot control no matter how hard you try to get better at them. They just seem to come back and bite you in the ass. And in this case, it was track violations for Logan Sargent. It's it's 100% his own fault. It's 100% on his shoulders that he's making these very simple mistakes because he's trying so hard. We know the Williams can get up into Q3. We've seen it before with Alex Albon. But what Alex does compared to what Logan Sargent does is that Alex generally drives a cleaner qualifying lap. He knows when to push. He knows when to slow down a little bit. He knows when to cut a corner a little sharper or he knows when to make a corner last a little longer just to get that clear track, just to get that clear line. All of which he had to learn through his rookie seasons albeit he had a little bit more of a tumultuous time when he had to go through Red Bull. He was up, then he was down, then he's at Williams, and he was at AlphaTauri, all this kind of stuff. So he had to learn it three different ways where Logan Sargent's still learning, obviously. It's his rookie season, and he's had to learn it on the same team 
from the beginning to the end. Still no word if Logan Sargent will be signed for next season. Um, I hope he does have a seat for next season. I hope we see him again, whether it's in a Williams or if it's in an Alfertari or sorry, racing bowls, or if it's in a Salva seat, I do hope he does come back. It's just, you know, the growing pains of being a rookie. Valtteri Bottas, Joe Guan Yu. I mean, they're finishing qualifying how they kind of started the season in qualifying. No matter how hard they try, they just are being outperformed from start to finish. Clean races, clean laps. They were on rails as much as the Alfa Romeo will let them be. It's just they're so far. It seems like they're so far behind technically and pace wise that they're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. They try their best and they still end up in the bottom five. Kevin Magnuson. A little bit of a surprise here. I expected him to at least make it to Q2 just for the fact that all the upgrades that has come to the Haas car for the last five races, it was a little bit bad timing to bring the upgrades out when you hit Austin because it was a sprint weekend. And then you would think they've had time to tweak a little, little bit here, a little bit there. So they're a little bit higher in the rankings when it comes to qualifying. But again, it's a Haas season. It's no matter how hard they try, they'll do really good one lap qualifying. But then when you come to race time, they're down at the bottom. So I don't want to say it's going to continue like this for Haas for next season and the season after that. I just think something at this point really has to change where they get a brand new major sponsor. Maybe Gene Haas decides to pull out or sell his shares in the team and we see somebody brand, brand new. Or, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised as unfortunate as it would be if we started to see rumors about maybe Gunter Steiner not being at Haas for very much longer. He's a charismatic character. Everybody loves him. He does his best, but you can only do your best with very little results for so long until management goes, you know what? We're going to start to look for a change. I hope it doesn't happen, but you never know. Moving on to Q2, again, weather stayed perfect. Wayne kicked up a little bit more. Nothing the drivers couldn't handle. Less cars on the road, less traffic, which means faster times, which means the guys from Q2 and Q3 should be just lighting the lamp as best as they can. This is where you're going to see what you got left in the car. If you've got a lot left in the car, you're going to do well. If you have almost nothing left in the car and in your gas tank, proverbially, you're going to struggle a little bit. Your bottom five... One major, major name that I did not expect to see again out in Q2, but it seems to be a little bit of a, a pattern that we start to see now. It's not very often he gets kicked out in Q2, but at the same time, it's not surprising anymore. They try to make it sound surprising on TV, but when you look at his car, you look at the history of this year, you see the fact that he's fighting with the car every step of the way, no matter what, it's not surprising Let's talk the bottom five. 15th, Daniel Ricardo. 14th, Alex Albon. 13th, Lance Stroll. 12th, Esteban Ocon. And 11th, Lewis Hamilton. And like I said, he was fighting the car in full practice one, full practice two, for pa- full practice three, and now in qualifying. I mean, he made it out of Q1. It was an amazing time. And then all of a sudden, Q2, he is 11th. He's fought this car all season long he has had stretches of brilliance when they finally bring the car into the zone where lewis needs it but then another upgrade comes out and you got to start all over again it seems that every time they add an upgrade to the mercedes car this year it sets them further back more than they expected to and it seems that this year it's affecting lewis hamilton more than george russell 
Now, this is definitely not because of Lewis Hamilton's age. It is definitely not because he doesn't want to race anymore. It's, it's just the way that it goes that he's having more trouble with the car than George Russell. Hamilton is used to a car that is built for him, that he's more involved with the aerodynamic design and where he sits and all this kind of stuff. When they brought out the Mercedes car this year, they moved the seat back a little bit in the chassis of the car, which I think is the main issue for Hamilton this year that he just, he never got the feeling of the car from the beginning of the season until now. He's had, like I said, he's had to fight with it almost every single weekend. And you see the brilliance of what he's done to put Mercedes where it is in the constructors and where he has been in the driver's championship itself. I mean, beyond that, it was, I mean, Esteban Ocon, Lance Stroll, Albon, and Ricardo. little disappointing for Ricardo. I would was hoping to see him in Q3, maybe 10th, or if he didn't make it to Q3, more along the 11th or 12th situation. But his car is one of those situations. He's going fast as he can, but everyone just is faster than him. No major mistakes. No, I mean, little slips here and there, but everyone was having those this weekend. He just, he just couldn't put it together. Lance Stroll 13th. I mean, that's where he has been the majority of the season when it comes to qualifying, not really hitting the top 10 as much as he should. Esteban Ocon, Alex Albon, a little surprising for Albon just for his streak of putting the Williams into Q3 or at least super, super close. Again, it just wasn't one of those weekends for these guys, which leads us into qualifying three, the top 10, the last qualifying of the 2023 season. And you've got all the familiar names in the top 10 that you would expect to see. Some of them even a little higher than we're used to seeing them. But we'll get into that. I'll give you the top 10 right now. And then we're just going to break it down. Starting from 10th, going to 1st, 10th, Pierre Gasly, 9th, uh, Checo Perez, 8th, Nico Hulkenberg, 7th, Fernando Alonso, 6th, Yuki Tsunoda, 5th, Lando Norris, 4th, George Russell, 3rd, Oscar Piastri, 2nd, Leclerc, and number 1, as always, Max Verstappen. Uh, the ones I want to highlight especially is Yuki Tsunoda and Leclerc. Talk about Yuki Tsunoda first. If he has had the season that he had for the last race of the year, Alfretari would be laughing. He, it just It seemed to click this weekend, especially in qualifying. There was no overcorrections. There was no oversteer. Very patient, very fast, very methodical. And his Alfretari was just, it was tuned perfectly. There was no better mid-grid car, in my opinion, on the track today than Yuki Tsunoda. Yeah, he still plays sixth. But when you look at the cars ahead of him, you've got two Red Bulls, you've got a Ferrari, you've got a Mercedes, and you've got a McLaren. All right, so in my opinion, he's exactly where he should have been about mid-season. Alfretari couldn't keep up with the developmental um, pace that McLaren had. They had those upgrades. It just started to click super, super fast. Alfretari finally getting where they need to be. Hopefully they will take this momentum from qualifying into the race and then from the race into the developmental time they have over the winter break. So when they come back for the beginning of 2024, they're essentially going to pick up where they left off. Leclerc, second, that seems like a no-brainer. But the Ferrari was not exactly the fastest Ferrari we've ever seen him drive. He really, really had to make this damn thing work. With about a minute and a half left, he was all the way down in 10th when it came to qualifying. And he put the best last lap together that he could possibly get. He didn't touch, touch his max's time. 
which is not a surprise when you talk about this season. The RB19 has just been far superior above everything in the history of Formula One. And what, like, yeah, I mean, the history of Formula One, you have never seen a car this dominant and a driver as dominant as the vehicle. Leclerc, though, he's doing the best that he can with this Ferrari, with the pace that he has. He's definitely earning his spots. He's earning his pole positions. He's making Max look behind him a little bit. He's still not too, too worried. But carrying this momentum into 2024, I think Ferrari will definitely have a more a more stranglehold in the position of constructors and will make Red Bull a little more scared than they normally are. But Leclerc had that car absolutely on wheels. And like I said, he had to be, he had to have his perfect Ferrari drive and qualifying just to beat out Oscar Piastri because Piastri was flying as usual. Another mango rocket ship. Fantastic to see. Checo Perez in ninth. Now, generally at this point in the season, from what we've seen from the at least the last half, when I say Checo Perez is in ninth, it's it's disappointing, but it's not surprising. The way he's been driving hasn't exactly been of the highest Red Bull standards. Yes, they are comparing Checo to Max, which I think is an absolutely unfair comparison. He doesn't drive like Max. For some reason, he doesn't have the same car as Max, so it's unfair. He doesn't have the same personality as Max. So to compare Checo to Max, I think is super unfair. But you can compare Checo to everybody else on the grid, and Checo is still much better, and it's not just the car. There's a reason why Checo got second in the Drivers' Championships. But when you look at his placing, he got ninth. He got a track time deleted at literally 0.00. There's no time left in qualifying at all. He did go over the line on uh, corner 16, I do believe. Gets his track time deleted, which knocks him down to ninth. If he didn't get that time deleted, he's in the top three quite comfortably, and it's a non-issue. But because you see him in ninth, everybody thinks, oh my God, he's it's another crap qualifying. Not so much this time. He's got the laps time in, or he's got the laps in now. He's got the car finally dialed in where he needed it to be more often than not. Unfortunately, it's the last race of the year, but you take this qualifying win, even though you got ninth, you had the pace, you see where the numbers were, you see how the car was reacting. You take that positive, you take it into the race, you take that positive, you move it into 2024. I do think that the difference between Checo and Max next year is going to be much, much closer than it was this year. But because of a deleted track time, Checo Perez in ninth, which brings us to a wonderful, wonderful race day. What are we talking about? We are talking about the last race of the 2023 season. The last race in every F1 season in current memory. We are talking about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. 58 laps, 16 turns, track length of 5.2 kilometers. Fastest lap 1.26 by Max Verstappen as always. Top speed of 334.3 kilometers an hour. Clear skies clear night skies, a little bit of wind, but not nearly the same amount of wind as it was in qualifying. Great track. Track temperature is in the mid thirties, high thirties. It is fantastic. The tires are primed. The drivers are primed. Five lights out. Away we go. Max, amazing start as he always has, but who's on his tail from the very beginning? Leclerc. He has one of his absolutely best starts of the entire season 
and he, for the first lap, puts serious, and I mean wheel-to-wheel, side-by-side car pressure on Max the entire first lap. And if it was anybody else driving against Leclerc in those situations, they would have backed off. They would have been like, you've got the racing line. I don't want to go wide. I'm going to might go off the track. Someone with a little bit of less skill, maybe. Not Max. Max is right beside him, pushing Leclerc, going, okay, you want to race? Let's see what you got, boy. Let's see what you can do full speed around this track with the three, now the three-time defending champion right beside you. And it was one of the best starts we have seen all season long. Definitely top five. Unfortunately, after that, the RB19 starts to show why the RB19 is the RB19 and has won as many records as possible. Second lap, Max gets ahead, gets a little bit further ahead, 1.4 seconds. For the, at least the first 12 laps, you're looking at about the 1.2 to 2.4 second lead. With this race, with this temperature, with this track, you can go full out, but it's 58 laps. So what's your tire strategy going to be? Is it going to be a one-stop shop or are you going to have to do two stops? When it comes to the Red Bull, the last four races or so, the tire life has not been as wonderful as it has been at the beginning of the season. I think just because Pirelli changed the compounds a little bit and the weather has to has a tendency to be a bit a little, a little bit more on the unpredictable side, which is not good for the compounds, which means your tire life doesn't exactly last the way you want it to. So Max was keeping it definitely in the relatively close range. He wasn't playing with the Claire. It was just a lot of tire strategy. He was keeping those tires alive longer. He learned from Vegas that you need to take care of these tires a little bit more than you normally do, just because you don't want to have to add that extra stop. And on the topic of pit lanes and getting new tires, this is one of those tracks that you can get a DRS train going essentially from the first lap to the last lap. It's kind of like Monaco that way. But the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix has a lot more places to pass. For example, from 5th to ninth, from laps 2 to 9, it was essentially one gigantic DRS train. Everybody in the position where everyone's going the same speed, which means you can't really pass, which means you're waiting for someone else to make a mistake, and then it starts to get that chain reaction. Or you're in the DRS train for so long, The first person burns through their tires so fast they have to go in for new tires, maybe a little bit earlier than they need to, or someone's on a different strategy, and when the first person goes in for tires, the second and third person go a little bit longer. When you do a pit stop in this race, you're looking at an average of, if you're really, really good, about 22 seconds. If you're really slow, it could be all the way up to 22 to 24 seconds, which when you're in this close of a race, And the perfect example is Oscar Piastri. He went for a pit stop and he went from fourth to 15th after he got new tires. Now, it wasn't a slow pit stop. Now, we're talking about 2.5. The average pit stop time was about 2.8, not exactly rocket speed, but they were all about generally the same time. There was no issues. There was no problems. There was no impeding or anything like that. It's just the track is so close for the drivers that they just they're that close together. And the pit lane is just so long that a really good pit stop, you're going to drop that many spots. So it's definitely a strategy type race. You still have a ton of good racing and a lot of positions that change. 
the majority of the positions in this race, as it has been for many years and many years to come, is the majority of the pit or the changing in the race for positions is going to be because of pit stops, especially when you get three or four guys that pit at the same time. All of a sudden you can be last or about the bottom five and all of a sudden you're now in the top 10 just because you've got good pace you your tire life is doing very well and you just rock it up that fast because it takes so long to get new tires the first pit stop in this race the medium lifespan of these tires again you're looking at about lap 23 to 25 is about the average life of these tires this season and yet lap 90 of the 90 of the the grid went in lap 18 for a first set of fresh set of tires. Now there was no commentary on whether the tires were failing, whether it was super hot, super high degradation or anything like that. But it seemed a little odd that almost everybody went in for their first change at lap 18. You've got 58 laps. You want to make your tires have a little bit longer life than that. But when in Rome, if 90% of the people do it, you might as well go along with it just so you're keeping pace, which is what they did, except for, obviously, Leclerc, Max, Perez, there's Valtteri Bottas, he went really long on a set of tires, uh, Pierre Gasly went a little bit extra laps, and then he went for his first pit stop. So there's a little bit of, that was a 10%, the guys that were just on different strategies. Um, generally, when you see so many people go in for tires at one time, it's one half of the team is executing their pit strategy and the guys that stay out are on a different tire management strategy altogether. So they'll go maybe five, six, seven laps later thinking at this point, it's more of a team game. Yes, there are points up for grabs and still the constructors and the drivers, but it all depends on how close these competitions are. If it's closer in the driver's championship, then you'll see a lot of drivers just kind of drive for themselves. It's no team, no team rules. Everyone races the best they can. That's where they want to get the majority of their points. If you have more of a battle in the constructors, all of a sudden you're going to see this type of strategy play out. You want one guy to go in earlier. You want one guy to go in later. And that way you're covering off that distance and time for the other half of the other teams, trying to score as many points as possible by the end of the season. In this case though, you've got both scenarios happening at the same time, which in my opinion, and some of the experts and some of the pundits and some of the guys that I've talked to, it's generally, if you stick to the team strategy, it's going to help the drivers as well, more often than not, unless something really bad happens, like a super slow pit change, a uh, collision, red flag, safety car, things of that nature. But if everybody stays in their proverbial lanes and everybody plays nice the team strategy has a general um, positivity to drivers individual plans as well so we get the first set of pit stops done everyone's back on track everyone's now starting to pass the slower guys because they've got older tires in which case i think around lap 20 to 23 everybody else came in got their tires and we're back to the race a person that has a tendency to start a little bit higher, say 11th or 10th. We're talking about Yuki Sonoda in this case. I'm trying to make it sound, you know, super important and, and then magical, but Yuki, he didn't pull any magic. He didn't go above and beyond in this race, but he's driving the way he should have been driving at the beginning or the middle part of this year. 
very consistent. Super calm this race, even with the radio chatter back and forth. I mean, there was a little bit of traffic. He's not freaking out. He's taking his time. He's all of a sudden matured overnight from Vegas to Abu Dhabi. One weekend later, he has contract for 24, so he doesn't have to be worried about that. But all of a sudden, it just seemed to click. He's driving very smart. He's driving very fast. He's making good headway. He did start sixth. So automatically, there's a little bit of extra pressure being an AlphaTauri, being a, a mid to lower end grid team. All of a sudden, you're in the top 10. Sometimes the pressure can get to the drivers and they start making smaller mistakes. We've seen Yuki Tsunoda do that last year and this year as well. It seems that all of a sudden, he's learned from those mistakes. He's mentally thinking things through a little bit better. He's mentally slowing down. So when he needs to make that decision, it's a clear thought. He's got clear ideas and a clear decision on what he needs to do. The race is going on. It's really happy. It's really good. Lots of good speed. Lots of good passing back and forth. No, no substantial drama. There was a little bit of a, there's a couple of collisions here and there, but nothing, nothing massive. Um, for instance, I mean, Perez had, was a little bit of an issue with another driver. I don't think it was as big of an issue as they had deemed it necessary. He ends up getting a five second penalty. Um, a lot of what they call pit lane infringements this time. Um, and what essentially what it ended up being is that it was the pit crews. It wasn't the drivers. It was the pit crew themselves. So FIA regulations state that all pit crew members have to be wearing full protective gear as they state in their rules and equipment list. So you know, they've got some of, most of them have got fire retardant suits. Um, they've got helmets and all that kind of stuff. What they needed to do and what the infringements were, were that the pit crews need to put their visors down on their helmets just in case, you know, a tire blows, in case there's a collision and parts go everywhere. Um, they're they're bolting on the tires and sparks fly, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just an overall safety issue. And it wasn't one or two teams. It was the majority of the teams. And the reason of this is because it is a night race. There is quite a bit of glare from the lights because it's a night race. So a lot of the engineers sometimes will wear sunglasses or they'll wear clear eye protection, but a lot of them will just They'll go in, masks up, or they'll wear a helmet with not a lot of face protection. Go in, put the tires on, off they go just because they, they want to be able to see as well as possible. Uh, the FIA took a note of that. A bunch of teams got called up to the stewards afterwards. They essentially just got a ton of warnings, but it kept popping up on the screen. So for those of you who noticed a pit lane infringement, it wasn't the drivers. It was the actual pit crews themselves. So like I said, lap 36 comes around. It's time for your second pit stop. Now, this is where you need to make a massive decision. If you are going long and you've only made one pit stop, when did you do it? Did you do it too early? Did you do it too late? There's not really, I mean, if you do too early, you're going to run out of tires and all of a sudden you can make it to the end of the race, but it's not going to be nearly high as you thought it would be. If you pit too late, by the time you do get new tires, yes, you've got new tires for longer, but then everyone else has a tendency to catch up to you and you will still have new tires, but you're further behind than you need to be. So what do you do? Do you go for a second pit stop? Do you go and just stay one pit stop and go longer? The majority of the teams did decide to go for a second pit stop. This is where on a race like this, you abs if you end up doing a third pit stop, 
or if you end up doing a slow second stop, your night is totally screwed. That driver is essentially shit out of luck, is not going to be able to catch up. 22 seconds average pitch stop time, all of that jazz. These guys were on the ball. They were absolutely killing it. They have practiced all season long, not just the races, but the practice time for the engineers. They know what they need to do, and they got it done. No world record-breaking pit stops this time. So for the 2023 season, McLaren does hold the record for the fastest pit stop world record of 1.8 seconds. Congratulations to those guys. They do get a trophy for that too, by the way. Um, but as far as the second pit stop, and also a lot of important questions, when do you go in? They started going in in lap 36. If you're a Red Bull, if you're a Ferrari, do you go later? Do you go early? Do you try to undercut everybody? Do you try to under or um, overtake somebody with your pit stop strategy? Red Bull did kind of whatever they wanted to do. Max even offered, hey, if you want Checo to go in for a pit stop first, let him go ahead. I will go after that. Very, very intelligent strategy when it came to this. And this is where the teams really needed to pay attention. Max was ahead of Checo at this point. Okay, so Red Bull is sitting one, two after the first set of pit chain or uh, pit stops. Max is about five seconds ahead of Checo. When Checo goes in for his pit stop, all of a sudden the time that Max is from the next driver now, you're looking at 28 seconds. So instead of Max going in and potentially losing two to five spots just for how far ahead he was, very intelligent move. Checo goes in for the pit stop first gets new tires, which gives Max an easy six second window to go in the next lap, go in, get his tires. He resumes the lead. Ferrari, on the other hand, their strategy was a little flawed, but it wasn't with who you thought it would be. Leclerc, perfect strategy. It seemed like he was calling his own strategy at that point. He's calling when he needed to go in for a pit stop. Sites, on the other hand, they had pitted him too early, and now he's running out of tires. They were going to do, I think he went in twice, but by the time he went in for his second set, it would have been a very, very, very long time, and they needed a safety car for him. Unfortunately for him, the safety car never showed up. He didn't. He was having a solid race. He wasn't ridiculously slow. He was keeping up, but it was just the tire strategy that kind of screwed him over. Leclerc's tire strategy was perfect. He gets his second set. Now, all of a sudden, he's in second. He's got that time. He had to pass a couple guys. All of a sudden, Max won, Leclerc two. It was fantastic. Now, this sets up the culmination and the crescendo of the race. Okay, Max is ahead. He's starting to pull ahead now. He's 12, 13, 14 seconds ahead. Okay, we'll let Max go drive by himself. We'll let him read his newspaper or do a Rubik's Cube while he's driving. Let him do his thing. We're coming into play now that we've got three cars from second to third now, or second to fourth, obviously. We've got one Red Bull. We've got one Mercedes. And we've got one Ferrari. Red Bull has won. Checo is playing a very, very, very important role in this because not only the driver's championship, but the Constructors' Championships, Ferrari is fighting Mercedes. The points here, depending on where they land, they're one-point difference, two-point differences, and this is switching the entire race. The graphics are going up. They're tied. Now, Ferrari's ahead by one point. 
Mercedes is ahead by three points. It just went back and forth the entire time. Now, Checo comes into play. He does have a five-second penalty for causing a collision. Now, we're coming down to the last set of laps here. Leclerc, being ridiculously smart and being very, very aware, asks a question of Ferrari, going, what's the time difference between Russell and, Le- and Perez? And he gets, a, he gets an answer, whatever it is. And then Leclerc, being the intelligent driver that he is, goes, Okay, so what would happen, essentially he's asking, I think I need to slow down, let Checo pass me, and I'm going to try to back up Russell more than five seconds, so it'll be a Red Bull 1-2, that's fine. But because of the time, Perez won't get the five-second penalty, and I will finish, Leclerc will finish ahead of Russell, which will give him more points, which will give Ferrari the second place in the Constructors' Championships. He does not know where Seitz is. Carlos Seitz is not in the top 10. He is just not having a wonderful day. Hamilton is in the top 10, but because of the points difference, even if Hamilton finishes in the top 10, as long as he finishes fifth or less, and Russell finishes fourth, then all of a sudden, Ferrari will win the the, 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 the second place constructors championships by like two points okay so they're trying this out perez does pass leclerc leclerc essentially slows down pulls over lets perez pass which is great great thinking good way to establish his clear thought the only thing is by the time perez passes leclerc there's just not enough lap time it gets up to i think it was 3.8 seconds difference ahead of Russell because of Leclerc, but they just ran out of track time. They ran out of laps and it, he wasn't able to get that five second distance, which he was hoping to do, which means Leclerc gets second, Russell gets third, Perez gets fourth. But because of that, because of the point differential, they're going to have to wait and see where Hamilton ends up. And then they're going to have to do the math to see if Ferrari's strategy worked or if Mercedes was able to hold on to the second place in the Constructors' Championships. It was, an, uh, it was an amazing race. It really was. If you take out the fact, and this has happened for a very long time, if you ignore the fact that, if you just ignore Red Bull, period, ignore Max, ignore Red Bull, the championships over, all that kind of shit, just ignore that and concentrate on the race for second and down in both the Constructors and the drivers from third place down, it was an amazing race. So much tension, but no drama to go along with it. There was no undue circumstances that somebody passes or there was an illegal move or anything like that. And it didn't come down to the stewards, which was amazing. A ref didn't have to make a call on if someone was impeding or if there was a time penalty or anything like that. It was clean racing, clean, fast racing. It was a a perfect way to end the season. The only thing that would have made it better is if it would have been at least a little closer between first and second, or maybe the driver's championships was a little bit closer just to add that cherry on top. But unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be this year. It was Red Bull's year. Max ends up winning 17.9 seconds ahead of Leclerc for his 19th win, another F1 record. Let's go through the top 10 right now. Max in one, Leclerc second, Russell third. Because Perez got that five-second penalty, Perez ends up in fourth, Norris in fifth, Piastri in sixth, Alonso in seventh, Yuki Tsunoda in eighth, Hamilton in ninth, and Lance Stroll in tenth. 
Amazing, amazing race for Yuki Tsunoda. He stays in the top 10. Generally, when Tsunoda makes it into the top 10, he lasts for as long as he possibly can. But it, by the end of the race, he's 11th or 12th. He just, just misses those points. A highlight for Yuki Tsunoda, a highlight for uh, Alfred Tari is that Yuki actually led the race. He was in first place. I think he led for like five or six laps. It was like the highlight of Alfred Tari's year this year, which was amazing. Uh, it's just the way they wanted their season to end. So good job for everyone in Alfertari. It was they were so ecstatic. They showed him on the TV and they were just so happy that they were actually leading the race. With that being said, the constructors championships, let's go through it right now. Nothing has changed. Nothing did change in the constructors championship. Red Bull still won with 860 points. With the spots that Russell and Hamilton had finished, Mercedes can or Mercedes clinches second spot with 409 points. Ferrari ended up being third with 406 points. Super, super close. McLaren kind of by themselves with 302 points. Aston Martin stayed in fifth with 280 points. Alpine in sixth with 120 points. Williams ends up holding on to the seventh spot in the Constructors Championships with 28 points. Alfretari right right behind them in 25 points sixth is alpha or ninth is alfa romeo with 16 points and rounding out the top 10 haas on the bottom with 10 points again it was a haas race both drivers in the bottom five everybody finished the race which was great there was no dnfs but just another very very disappointing outperformance kind of race for haas i had mentioned it in qualifying and i'm going to mention again now the way that Haas is going, I don't see management being there much longer. The drivers have signed a one-year extension for 2024, so we're going to see Hulkenberg and Magnussen again next season, which is great. They are solid drivers, but something significant has to change next season. They cannot be in the basement for the constructors. They need to be in the sixth or seventh spot for everybody to keep their jobs, in my opinion. If it doesn't happen by, I'm going to say, mid-season, do not be surprised if all of a sudden you see some very public and high-end uh, staff changes at Haas F1. Drivers' Championships, let's get into it. Max Verstappen, 575 points. Checo Perez in second with 285 points. Hamilton in third quite comfortably with 234 points. Now, here's where it gets quite interesting. Because of where Alonso and Leclerc finished, Four and five, respectively, is Fernando Alonso in fourth, Leclerc in fifth, both tied with 206 points. The only reason, again, why Fernando Alonso does finish higher in that is because he has had more consistently higher spots than Leclerc. He has finished higher than him during the season, which is why he gets the fourth spot. Lando Norris is up to sixth with 205 points. So, so, so close for him if there was one more race. He would have gotten fourth. Carlos Seitz, because of his performance, drops all the way from fourth to seventh with 200 points. George Russell is in eighth with 175 points. Oscar Piastri finishes in ninth with 97 points. Talk about a rookie year for him. And in 10th, Lance Stroll rounds it out with 74 points. Let's go back to Oscar Piastri for a second. There was so much drama around him this season before it even started with legal action between two different teams. 
there was so much pressure put on him going, if you've got two F1 teams fighting after you, you better be as good as you are advertised. You're replacing Daniel Ricardo on top of that. You're replacing an Aussie for an Aussie. There was so much pressure on this kid to drive and be successful and make a significant contribution to McLaren. Not only that, they're going to compare you to Lando Norris. Lando Norris is the number one driver in McLaren. There's no doubt about it, but they're still going to compare you against them. How are you, how are you going to keep up? How are you going to measure your performance in the 2023 season? I think he did a fantastic job. 97 points. Yeah, Lando Norris scored 205, which as it should be, Lando Norris is the more experienced driver. He understands the car. He understands the tracks. Piastri, it's his, it's his rookie year. There's only one race this season where he was level with everybody else, and that was Vegas because nobody else had driven that track. And to still to pull out 97 points, the highest rated rookie this year. Congratulations, Oscar Piastri. It is well-deserved. He is definitely, in my opinion, he is going to be the future of McLaren F1 racing. And so now, as always, in this part of the podcast, we're going to get into the story of the race. And I know it's a cliche. I know it sounds like a broken broken record, but we are going to talk about Max Verstappen. He finishes first again, 19 wins, 21 podiums. It's the most dominant season in F1 history, period. And I'm like, period. He himself scored, I believe it was 85% of available points this season. If one of the races was, if we had that canceled race, if we would have driven that, dollars to donuts, Max would have won that. Singapore, it just wasn't his weekend. That was his only actual loss this season. 19 wins. Like I said, 21 podiums. He's setting records left, right, and center. And how many records is left, right, and center? He set 17 Formula One records in 2023 highest winning percentage in the season most wins in a season most points in a season most consecutive wins most podiums most laps led in a season highest percentage of laps led most consecutive wins from pole most wins from pole as well biggest points gap between first and second most consecutive races as championship leader most consecutive points scored most consecutive top two finishes most hat tricks in a season, most pit stops by a winning driver in one race. The the hat trick part is when you like the most hat trick, uh, most hat tricks in a season, you are fastest in full practice, you're fastest in qualifying and you're fastest in the race. That is what you consider a hat trick. Uh, most pit stops uh, by the winning driver in a race, uh, one driver with three wins in one country. He won all the U.S. races and the only driver to lead 1,000 laps ever. He led 1,003 laps in the 2023 season. Call it luck. Call it the machine. Call it dominance. Call him an F1 god. I know there's some haters out there that will always hate Max Verstappen. I know there were people out there that will always say it was the vehicle that he drove. It's the same stuff that you're going to hear when you go back to when Lewis Hamilton won seven titles in a row, there was a lot of, he's great. There was also a lot of, it's the machine. It's the luck. It's his competition. It's his second driver. It's the same. 
naysayers that hate Red Bull, they're going to say the exact same thing about Max. From my opinion, I am a Red Bull fan. Would I have liked to have seen it a lot closer? Yes, absolutely. I would have seen, I'd love to see it a lot closer, but I still want to see him win. Red Bull also gets one, two in the drive in the constructor or the driver's championship. Sorry. I think it's a combination of the perfect symmetry of your strategists, your car developers, the car itself, and the driver. Those four things put together. There was a few lucky things every now and again, but it wasn't based mainly on luck. It was the driver. It was the performance and the consistency of the car. They learned from all the crap that happened in 2022, and they fixed it in a heartbeat. They realized what they did, and they put it into action to make the most dominant car in this era of F1, if not the top three most dominant car in the history of F1. It rivals the old school Williams. It driver it rivals the old school Ferraris by far. In our racing era, I do not believe that we will see another car as dominant as the RB19. Looking forward to 2024, will Max continue his winning ways? Will he continue to set even more records? Will the RB20 be even more dominant than the RB19? Some will say yes. Some will say it's just a matter of time before Red Bull outsmarts themselves and that they start on the decline. But that's how sport goes. You enjoy the wins when you can. You learn from the losses when they come up and you just recover the best that you can. But when you have a season like this with no win or no losses, there's not a whole lot you can say except for Red Bull was the dominant team of the year. Max will definitely be in the history books as one of the most dominant drivers ever in Formula One. And with my little end of my monologue about Max Verstappen, that brings to a close, that closes the book on the 2023 F1 season. I would like to take a moment and just thank all of you wonderful fans out there for tuning in every week and listening to my breakdowns of every race, every qualifying session, and every sprint race as well. I also would like to send out a sincere thank you to the FTN network and everybody who works there without them and without them we wouldn't have another successful season of F101 and none of this would be possible at all now just because this was the last breakdown of the last race of the 2023 season doesn't mean that we are done for the off season F101 will have all new episodes that you can listen to throughout the off season. I'm going to keep you guys updated on everything you need to know about the world of F1, as well as we still have the year in review and who knows, I may just have a nice special guest for you guys. So until the beginning of the 2024 season, please stay tuned to F101 for everything you need to know in the world of F1.